Hey, my name is Phil, and this is my wife, Meredith, and we are the pastors here at Cornerstone Church. We're so glad that you have connected with us here today and that you're getting ready to listen to a message that we know is going to build a resilient faith in your life. Right now, in this moment and in our days ahead, let's continue declaring Jesus over every situation. Enjoy the message. We start a brand new series today called Battle Ready, and I'm excited about it, and I'm looking forward to it, and I've been praying about it, and I believe that God is about to do something over the next five weeks in our church. I believe he's gonna speak something to us specifically. If you have your Bible and you wanna start turning to the book of Ephesians, thank you guys, it's great. You wanna start turning to the book of Ephesians, we're gonna be looking in Ephesians real soon. But I just wanna sit for a minute. Do you ever just wanna sit? You know, like you're just tired. Like if you're honest, some of you saw the title, the team, they did such a good job. You know, they posted the title and we're getting us all leaned in this week talking about we're about to start a new series, Battle Ready. And some of you were like, Lord, I just kind of want to sit. I'm just, I'm tired. I don't know if I've got a lot of battle in me. I don't know if I've got a lot of fight in me. You know, so every day, Phil and I put our kids to bed at night, right? And so we go through the day, and our boys aren't at a stage where, like, they can go get ready for bed. They have to be gotten ready for bed, right? It's really a full family activity. So we do dinner time together and then we go and we get pajamas on and that's always a battle of getting pajamas on and teeth brushed and then after that we come together and Phil reads the boys a story from their kids Bible as we've been working through the Bible together as a family we read those stories and then we pray which sounds like this beautiful family moment But if you've ever done prayer time with a six-year-old, a three-year-old, and a two-year-old, you know it sounds a lot nicer than it is. It's fighting over who gets to pray first tonight. And it's fighting over who prayed about what because I was gonna pray about that. And so we get through that and then we sing songs and then we rock and then we put them in bed and then they're all in their rooms and then someone needs water. <laughs> and then someone forgot that they had to go to the bathroom. And then someone has one last thing that they just have to tell you. And about seven hours later, all of our boys are in bed and are asleep. And by the time I come downstairs, almost every single night, I come downstairs and I finally find our couch or a chair and I just, and I just sit. And I think in a lot of life, that's how a lot of us have felt as of recently. I've been battling for a lot. I've been standing up for this issue and that issue. And I've been talking about how 
We need gender equality, and I've been talking about how we gotta end racism, and I've been fighting for people in disaster relief areas, and I've been fighting for people who are seeking asylum, and, and all of these things matter, and I care so much about all of these things, and I've been fighting for our right to speak on things, and I've been fighting for our right to be in certain places, and I care about all of them, but just, I'm just, can I sit? For a minute, I just feel like I want to sit down. And so we've sat down and we've exhaled. And God said, for a while, I just wanted you to sit. I just wanted you to feel the exhale of sitting down for a while. And we start in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 10. These are the verses we're going to be looking at over the next five weeks. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. I want you to circle, underline, square, highlight, however you do it, that word stand. I want you to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of the evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplications to the end keep alert with perseverance making supplication for all the saints and also for me that my words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak Father God, I thank you for your presence in this place. I thank you for your words that are timeless. I thank you that you are with us in every situation and that you are in us and we would be found in you. I ask you to speak through me today. I ask you to speak to us over the coming weeks, God. I believe that you are moving something in our hearts and in our minds. I thank you for it, God. Give us ears that would hear you. Give us hearts that are open and are ready and change us and transform us in your mighty name. As I prepared specifically for today's message over the last couple of days, really last night as I began pre preparing, I felt like, God, I've studied and I, I feel like I have a message together, but I sat praying and I kept asking God, God, what, what do you want people 
to hear tomorrow? What is it that your people need to hear tomorrow? And as I sat in that time of prayer, I feel like God gave me a prophetic word for us as a church, for us as a house, about what he wants to do over these next five weeks together. What do I mean by that? I mean, as I prayed, I got a picture of something. I got a feeling on the inside of me that God has something that he wants to speak to us. And in the scope of my authority, this is a word for this house which means that if you're listening as so many do and you're joining but somewhere else is your church home, I hope it strengthens you and I hope it encourages you. But this is a word for this house, for people who are in this room and people who are in their living rooms and around their kitchen tables and say, Cornerstone Church is my church. If that's you, then this word is for you. I heard a simple word from God. I heard God say, it is time to stand up. I heard him say, your season of sitting is done. And it is time to get your stand up back. So many of us have been tired and have been weary and have done our hours and have done our time. I know because you have told me. You have told me, oh, I served for years and I'm done now, I'm taking a break. And I have good news that might feel like bad news. I heard God say, Your break is over. Your sitting is over. It's time to get your stand up back. It's time to plant your feet, one foot and the other. It's time to throw your shoulders back again. And it's time for this house, for this people, for you to get your stand up back. And it's okay that right now you don't feel like it because over this week and particularly next week, we're going to unpack exactly what it means to get your stand up back. What does it mean when Paul says, Stand, therefore, stand in that place. But the title that I would have given this message if I would have heard it earlier is that the message of the battle is to get your stand up back. If you want to be battle ready, if you want to be prepared for this fight, if you want to be prepared for the thing that God is walking us into, it's time for a stand up in the people of God in this house. It's time that we lock our knees in place and throw our shoulders back and set our chins steadfast to whatever might come. It is time to get your stand up back. Too many of us have been sitting back hoping someone else fight the battle on our behalf. Too many of us have been sitting back just easy and comfortable for whatever may come and whatever may because I've tried too many times and I've done it too many times. And if I can be so bold, I want to say specifically, those of you who have been here for a long time, Those of you who have years of maturity and years of wisdom and years of understanding, we need you in this season. 
We need you to get your stand up back. We need you to stand in your place. We need your feet planted. We need your wisdom pouring out. Can I just tell you, I told myself I wasn't gonna tell you this this morning, but I'm gonna tell you anyway. Can I tell you that right now, our children's ministry, our, our little kids, our nursery and our preschool is being almost entirely run by teenagers. No, not amen. I know you wanted to be encouraging, bless you. It's wonderful to see them involved and I'm so excited to see them coming into their stand-up and finding their stand-up place. But they need grown, mature people of wisdom and of understanding partnering with them and saying, this is why it matters the way we pour into the next generation. Oh, this is how we stand when people come into this place. Oh, this is what your faith means. Oh, that's how that kid at school has been talking to you? Let me tell you how we respond to that. They need mature people. And I walk back there and I'm so excited to see a group of teenagers and a group of young people. But also, I have this heavy place in my heart where I go, where, where are the mothers and the fathers? Where are the mature saints who will stand in their place? And when I was praying last night, I was sitting and I said, God, I know what the points are and I know what the message is and I know how I'm going to walk through the verses, God, but what do you want people to hear from you? I heard him say, I felt it. He said, tell them it's time to get your stand up back. It is time to get your stand. Your season of sitting is over, and it is time to get your stand up back. So we're going to walk through these verses that Paul writes to us over the next couple weeks, and we are going to find a battle-ready posture, a position of strength and of power. Paul starts out this conclusion message and he says, finally, finally. It's a word that makes sense in the place of the book, but it's an odd word to start a series on as an introductory term to say, finally. And what is Paul saying finally about? If you have studied the writings of Paul, his letters that he writes to the churches and the church leaders throughout the New Testament, you would know about Paul that Paul often is building a case, is building a point as he writes these letters and gets to what he really wants them to get in principle and in practice as he is part of the team that is guiding this brand new thing called the church. It's why I think so much of Paul's letters have been taken out of context and misunderstood because we jump into the middle of a letter and we pull out a bit and then we try to apply it. And Paul, I think if he could talk to us now, is like, no, 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 that was an example on the way to my point. And so we get here to the end and Paul says, finally, this is what I've been trying to get to. 
But he went through the first part of the book of Ephesians and there are some themes, there are some key core principles that he was speaking to the church in Ephesus. There's this brand new church that has started. It's a church in the city of Ephesus, a city that is a cultural city that has all kinds of worship practices happening and all of a sudden these people of Jesus start gathering together and Paul is writing to them. He wants to give them instruction for what does it mean now to be part? And there are several themes throughout the book of Ephesians, but two main themes that you see repeated throughout the entire book. The first one that he has told them before he gets to this finally is that you are now in Christ. In Christ. If you look at chapter one of the book of Ephesians, Ephesians 1, if you read through it, you can go through and underline or circle for yourself. There are eight different times that Paul repeats the phrase, you are in Christ or you are in him. And that's not even the whole section that he talks about. You were once out there, but you have now been adopted into. He doesn't even use the phrase in there, but he explains, what do I mean that you are now in Christ? Christ, he's trying to get them to grasp that there is a new identity that I'm forming you in. You used to be another type of identity, but now you are in this family. You are now found in Christ. You were of the Greeks, but now you are in Christ. You used to be a worshiper at the temple of Diana, but now you are in Christ. You used to be just part of that people group, but now you are in Christ. You used to be someone who works at the shop, but now your first identification is that you are in Christ. You used to be someone who grew up down south, but now your first identifier is that you are in Christ. Christ, he wants us to know that our identity is no longer found in all of the external things. He says, before I can get to this finally thing that I want you to understand, I need you to grasp that the first thing that happens when you become a follower of Jesus is that there is a new identity. There is a new identifier of who you are. You are now in Christ, so much of the issues that we face are because we identify ourselves first as all of our external things, of all of our secondary things, and it's not that those things don't matter, it's that those things are not primary, those things are not first, that the order in which those things come in happen after the fact. He says, I want you to know that you are now in Christ, and then he takes the book to help describe and explain to them what does it mean to be in Christ. We have to learn what it means. When we were back in Australia, um, we were spending a lot of time with family, right? That's what we were doing. And family groups take on group identities as well, right? Your organization takes on a group culture or a group identity. Your family takes on a group culture or a group identity. The Ryburn group identity is very extroverted. As individuals, a few of us are introverted. 
So we were going out on another group extroversion activity, and one of our sons, who happens to also be more introverted, myself and one of my children are introverted, was like literally hiding in his room in his blanket, and he was like, Mom, are we all going out together again? And I was like, yeah, buddy, we are. And I leaned over, and his dad was there, so I was being a little tongue-in-cheek as well. And I said, hey, bud, I just want to tell you something about being a Ryburn. When you're a Ryburn, we do lots of activities with lots of people. That's our identity. And he goes, aww. I was like, I know. But when you come into the family of God, there are some markers about what this new identity is, what it means to be a part of the family of God. And the first thing is that I no longer identify myself first by my race group or my gender or my socioeconomic class or the country that I grew up in. My very first identification marker in my life is that I am in Christ, that I am a child of God. Paul repeats it time and time again throughout the book of Ephesians because he is hoping and trying to get through to this new group of believers that you are now in Christ. And he tells them, since you are now in Christ, unity. We pursue unity. We go after unity. We fight to maintain unity. Our greatest strength is that we are knit and fit together, each one in their place, each one in their position, that we are ready, that we, are, that we do everything we can to make sure that no division comes in between us, which isn't so hard when we understand that we are first and foremost in Christ because most of the division that tries to come against us comes from some of those identification markers. Well, which side of the metaphor tracks did you grow up on and that determines whether or not we can be together but when I determine that my first identification is that I am in Christ that is the thing that knits me to you that is the thing that connects me to you and he tells them be united together I've been watching one of those like I like to watch old shows like they're new shows but they're about old things you know my favorite genre of show. And so I've been watching an old show that's about like medieval times and they're battling. And they're um, the, I don't know, who are those guys? The Vikings. And they're showing the Vikings fighting. And when they fight, they have such unison that like nobody can take them down. Have you guys ever seen this? And they make that wall with their shields, right? They like go like lower level, middle level, top level. And they're like, and it's just a wall because they have such unity in the way that they respond, because they have such a, a cohesive response, because they know that their core identity is that they are stronger together than they are individually. They respond with unity. And for chapter after chapter and line after line, Paul is nailing away at this thought that you are in Christ and that we fight for unity together, that you are in Christ and that we fight fight for our unity together so that by the time he gets here, he is saying, finally, having said all of that, I tell you, 
have to switch pages. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Be strong in the Lord that strong is a strengthened. Be continually strengthened. Be every day renewed in the strength that you have. Be strong. Wake up every day and look for a strength for today. Part of our issue, I believe, is that we think that we get strengthened one day. Like, I love to go to the gym, but I want to go like one time and be like, I'm strong now done right but that's not how it works we have to continually renew our strength and paul is saying in this word strengthened is a continual strengthening that you are continually being strengthened that the strength you had for yesterday is not the strength that's being poured out on you for today and that the strength that you have for today won't sustain you for tomorrow are you looking to continually be strengthened in the Lord, there it is. Who? In Christ. In the power of your own strength. And the power of your own might. And the power of your own discipline. And the power of your own ability to lift heavy weights, to stand your guard. And the power of your own ability to defend your space. No, in the strength of the Lord. He says, be strengthened in the Lord and in the power of his might, and in the power of his might. No one's looking to you to find and to muster up your own strength. We need some people who know how to be strengthened through the power of the strength of God and of the power of his might. I love this word might. The word might, it talks about personal capacity or individual capability. The word means in the power of his personal capacity and his individual capability. If I say that you have a might, you have a personal capacity and individual capability and some of you have a personal capacity and individual capability that is very impressive but I promise you if you think and if you ponder on the personal capacity and the individual capability of the God who created the heavens and the earth you are resting in the power of his individual capacity and his personal capability his matchless his endless, his ceaseless. There is no beginning and there is no end to who he is. It is in the power of that kind of a might, of a might that never started and of a might that never ends. We rest and we are strengthened in a power and in a might that goes on and on that you can't scrape to the bottom of it and you can't find the top of it and you can't go back far enough to find the end of it and you can't go forward enough to find the end of it. It just keeps on going and going and going. The capacity of who he is, the capability of who he is. He says, out of my personal capacity that is matchless and that is endless and that never ceases and that never tires and that never hungers and that never needs to rest, out of my capability, when you lay down and take a nap, he just keeps on going. When you sit down, 
because you need a meal. He just keeps on going. When you have to go back for a water break, he just keeps on going and he makes a way in the midst of a desert out of his deep, never-ending capacity. That is the might that you have access to. That is the might that he put on the inside of you. It is a strength and it is a power that says, I know you feel tired, but I have something deep to pour on the inside of you. Not out of your own, but out of his might. Out of the power of his might. And with that in mind, he says, then put on the whole armor of God. Put it on. It's right there. It's waiting for you. It's ready for you. It's available to you. All you have to do is put it on. The, the word armor, it means it's tools or, or um, like weapons that are fit together. It implies that the whole thing is a package, that he's given you the tools that you need for this day. And he's given you the tools that you need for this moment. And Paul says, put it on. Not part of it, not pieces of it, but the whole thing. When you came into the family of God, it became available to you. And I wonder how much many of us have been walking around with the full armor of God right there beside us, wondering why we keep taking blows, wondering why we keep getting knocked down, wondering why we feel so confused and lost and disjointed. And Paul says, just put it on. Just pick it up and put it on. Put on the full armor of God. And in the next couple weeks, we are going to dive into what this armor pictures for us and represents and exactly what the tools we are, the tools that are available to us, what they individually mean and why we have them. And he says, put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness and over the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. How often have we been distracted by flesh and blood and focused our attention on the physical realm and on the physical presentation of the distraction and the decoy and the division that the enemy has schemed to send in our direction? We look at what's happening and we start to pit ourselves political party against political party as if the political parties, which are presentations of flesh and blood outcomes, are the answers for our hopes or are the reasons for our dreams being dashed. 
and we give all of our attention to the flesh and blood. We go into our workplace and we talk about how our boss won't let us get ahead or we talk about how our employees just don't get it. As if the people that we are connected to and are living our life around are our enemies. As if they are our opposition. As if they are the ones that we need to focus our attention on. We live in this space where we present ourselves as if we are battling against flesh and blood. As if when wars come up, there's a good side and there's a bad side. As if when issues happen, there's a side that God is pleased with and a side that God is displeased. And and the enemy is just sitting back laughing because he's like, as long as I can keep them distracted in divisions with one another, as long as I can keep them squaring up against each other. We have three kids. This is, mm, this is a bad example. I'm not trying to compare one of my kids to the devil. I'm this, but work with the picture. Sometimes one of them will like get one going and then get the other going and get their two siblings like going at each other and then just kind of like slide out of the picture like they didn't have nothing to do with it, you know? And they'll just be like, I don't know. They're fighting. Sometimes I think that's kind of how the enemy operates. Like, he just comes in, and he's like, you know, like that old scene in a movie, right? Like, he, like, taps this person on the back, and then he kicks this person, and now these two are fighting, and he's like, whoo. They're going at it. I mean, we're not even talking about against the evil. I'm just talking about the church. I'm just talking about church people fighting church people over how we run things and where we run things and when we do things and how we ought to do things. And we've got so much just division and infighting happening because we think that we're wrestling against flesh and blood as if the format of our services is the weapon that we fight with, as if the time or the structure or the style of how we do what we do or who we let do what we do as if all of these flesh and blood things are the things that we fight with and the things that we fight about. The enemy says, no. Sorry, Paul says, no, we have an enemy. An enemy that is real and an enemy that works in the spiritual realm and in the spiritual forces coming in and creating schemes, sitting back thinking, how can I get these people to be distracted from the things of God, to get off of their unity, to get out of their in Christness? How can I get them distracted from the real issue at hand? He is scheming constantly, trying to come at you and get you off of the plan and off of the mission and out of your arms and out of your guard and to sit back down instead of standing up. And Paul says, stand in the whole armor because we have an enemy out there and we find ourselves in one of two camps. One being that we disregard that there is a spiritual realm at hand here. And if I can organize my life better, and if I can get my things together, and if I can make, up, make sure I show up all the time, and I can get in all of my stuff, then, then, it, then that's how my life is gonna be okay. It's all physical, and it's all everything that I can put my hands on, and that I can wrap my head around, and that I can make work together. And Paul is trying to disrupt that thinking and say there is a spiritual force at hand here. There is a real 
enemy of your soul that does not want you to prosper. His plan is to steal and is to kill and is to destroy and we have to be on our guard against the spiritual realm that God has given us an authority over. And then we see the side that is fascinated and drawn to the spiritual realm and to what happens in spiritual places and in spiritual forces, but because we have a lack of understanding and because we haven't found ourselves rooted and established in Christ and guarded up in the full armor of God, we're now trying to tap into what happens in a spiritual realm through flesh and blood means. We are going and we are grabbing natural things saying, I think I can tap into, I think I can manipulate, I think think there might be a way I can just get in here. If I get the right crystal, maybe I can tap into the spiritual realm. If I like the right thing, maybe I can tap into a spiritual realm. If I microdose on this or on that, maybe I can step into and have a spiritual experience. And it's a counterfeit example of what God always intended you to walk in and to stand in because it puts your faith and it puts your hope and it puts your trust and it puts your belief in something that was flat and blood and something that is natural made and God said you don't need anything to access me anything that poses as something that you need to access the spiritual realm is a counterfeit outside of what I had designed you for because he gave you full access because you are in Christ because you are in Christ he said I've given you a full armor of God and it is able to cut through. It is able to speak to spiritual powers. It is on the inside of you. You don't need to control anything on the outside of you. You don't need to buy anything on the outside of you. You don't need to smoke anything on the outside of you because he has put it all deep down on the inside of you. He has made you a spiritual warrior with spiritual tools, with spiritual capability, with eternal capacity, and it's all on the inside of you. All we have to do is step in and put it on. Just put it on. And Paul gives them this posture to stand. He wants them to stand in the full armor of God. It's an interesting posture choice because this posture of standing is a posture of defense. Let's walk that out for a minute, because sometimes we hear defense and we think of it in a negative connotation, right? Like, oh, I'm on the defense because someone else is coming at me, and a lot of that has to do with, to be honest, our American mentality of like, we always gotta glide, ugh, you know? We got a little like rebellion and take the land in us, right? Like, don't step at us, we might throw your tea. It's a historical reference. Did you guys not get that? You remember when we were upset with the British, we took all the tea and we threw it in the harbor, right? Because we were like, we don't need y'all. And that's like in the American psyche. So we're always a little bit like front foot. But Paul says, you don't even have to be front foot. Stand. Stand. It's a defensive posture, and it's a defensive posture because one of the other themes that he talks about through the book of Ephesians is that you have an inheritance. 
an inheritance in Christ Jesus that is already yours. He already purchased it, and he already gave it to you, and it already belongs to you. Paul says there is an enemy that desires to take it from you, but all you have to do is put on your full armor and stand. Can you imagine if like you left here today and you go to go to your car? For those of you who have a car, you go to go to your car and you're going to get in it and somebody comes up to you and they're like, hey, I'm gonna take that now. Right? What would you do? You would defend what belongs to you. You would defend the space that is you. You would stand, most likely, many of you would physically stand in front of the door that would give them access to the thing that belongs to you. Jesus said, I gave you an inheritance. Can you imagine if you were like one of those Hallmark stories and you found out that you had some rich great-great-grandparent somewhere that nobody knew about and they passed away and you were the only one left and they have given you an entire castle on the hillsides of Ireland that no one knew. Like there are so many mysterious castles that no one has ownership to in these fictitious stories. I keep waiting for mine. And all of the sudden, this drops down and you are now owner and possessor of great lands and great castles and great namesakes. And then somebody came and tried to say, oh, I'm gonna take that now. You'd be like, no, you're not. This belongs to me. They gave it to me. They put my name on it and they said, I am now heir royal of the great lands of Ireland. This is now my possession. And at some point in the argument, you would probably even get to a line that sounds something like, I'm not even having this conversation with you because this is mine and this belongs to me. Why are we having conversations and debates with the enemy about whether or not we have access to the things that God said is yours? He told you this is your inheritance. This is your possession. You don't have to go possess the land anymore. That is Old Testament theology. Jesus came. Old Testament theology is we are going to go and we have to conquer the land. But then Jesus came and he fought every battle and he gave himself and he resurrected himself and he says it is a finished work. And then he says I have the land has already been possessed. The only thing we have to do is stand. Defend the thing that God gave you. Defend the space that is your inheritance. Defend the land that he has given you to possess. It is already yours. You don't have to have the conversation. You don't have to have the argument. Just stand. Stand in the place that he has given you. It is your inheritance. I'm gonna look back just a couple of pages if you look at chapter, I think it's 1 and 11. 1 and 11. It says, in him. There it is again. Because you are in him, we have obtained an inheritance. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. 
so that we who are the first hope in Christ might be able to praise of his glory. Might be able to praise of his glory. If I can get someone to join me on the keys, I'm preparing to end. I want to encourage you today that we can stand in the place knowing that his inheritance is ours because we have been found in Christ. Those of us who have said yes to a relationship with Jesus, who have accepted his call into the family of God, now find ourselves in possession of a great, eternal, immense inheritance. An inheritance that is worth more than you could imagine. An inheritance that is bigger than any monetary gain in our life. And it may give us paths to prosperity. And it may give us paths to health. And it may give us paths to hope. And it may give us paths to all of the things that we think of and that we dream of. But first and foremost, it gives us path to Jesus. To be found in him in Christ to be found in Christ as we finish I'd love everyone in this room who's able to stand with me if you're in your living room I'd encourage you to stand where you are as well as a symbol that we are planting our feet we're coming out of sitting and we're coming in to standing saying we will be those who stand, who defend the inheritance that God has given us. As we stand in this room, I'm not unaware that there are those who are standing right now who are standing wondering and asking yourself the question, am I in Christ? If someone asked me, am I in Christ? I would probably say to them, I was in church on Sunday, and that's a good place to start. But it's not the same, because you can be in the church, you can be on the stream, but not find yourself in Christ. In Christ. The old preachers used to say, just going into a garage doesn't make you a car just coming into a church service doesn't make you a follower of Jesus. But if that's you and you're standing today and you're saying, I don't know that I find myself in him, then the good news is it's an easy step from not being sure to being confident of your relationship with him. I'm gonna count to three and when I count to three, I just want you to shoot your hand up in the air If you're saying today is my day to leave and to know for sure that I am in relationship with Jesus. One, it's for every person who thinks they might be but really aren't totally sure. And two, it's for every person who knows they have no business being in Christ but are so glad that it's his work and not theirs. 
three, if you want to leave here today and say, I have found in, been found in Christ, shoot your hands straight up in the air. There are hands going up in the room who are saying, I am found in Christ. I see you, sir. I see you too over here. Come on. It is a good day to say with confidence, with assurance. I see you, love, right here with great, great confidence that I have been found in Christ. Those of you who are on the chat right now, just drop your name, drop a hand. Our team wants to walk with you, wants to celebrate with you that you have been found in Christ. Everyone who can hear my voice is gonna say these words together because we are reminded that when we come into Christ, we also come into unity with his family. So we say, Jesus, I thank you that I am found in you today. I thank you that it's not because of my own works, but it's because of yours. And I commit today to stand in Jesus. Amen. Amen. Come on. Come on, church. If you are grateful for some people who have said yes to Jesus today.